Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with a pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Doran. And I'm Dave Selecki. This week, we have Cooper McDonald with us here on Pit Pass. Pit Pass Moto is sponsored now by Moto America, the official AMA road racing series for the USA. And it's been awesome so far. Can't wait to get out to the races. Dave, are you going to be able to make a trip to one this year? I'm going to do my very best. It's all going to depend on schedules, but for sure. I mean, it, I tell you, the content they have on their website just makes you feel like you're there. It's yep. loaded with good stuff. I am continuing to rewatch the races from Road America, the first round of the season. I've actually got the Twins Cup guys racing in the background as we are doing this very show. It's so easy to get connected via Moto America Live Plus that I just keep it on all the time. I don't really need TV if I can have races on. And my favorite thing, the countdown clock. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. If you get out to their website, motoamerica.com, they, they're counting down the minutes to the very next time you'll watch racing. They've just got a, a killer program and couldn't be happier to have them as a sponsor. It's been amazing. and Can't wait to see all the racers at the track and talk to yet another one today. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So let's talk about the racing, Dave. There was uh, Supercross, two events since last week. Got any rundowns for us? You want to hit the high notes? It's been racing twice a week, which is stellar, Wednesdays and Sundays. So June uh, 10th was round 14, actually, I think, in the grand scheme of things. And uh, our boy uh, Cooper Webb, who was last year's champion, wins the 450 class. And he's just been finding a new groove. I think it's kind of cool late in the season that he's come in like he has. He's given Tomac a run. He's given Roxon a run. Yeah, he's keeping the boys honest. They're calling him Mr. Wednesday Night because he seems to be the guy who wins every Wednesday night. So that would mean coming this week, it's a possibility he might see the number one up front again. Another guy who got on the box who hasn't been on, on the, on the, in the leaderboard for a while is Zach Osborne, finished second on Wednesday night behind Webb. And Tomac, who salvaged kind of a crappy start on a crappy track, I would say, Managed to make good of it and finish third. So there's your 450 podium. Tomac's protecting his lead. He really doesn't need to win races, but he's. I'm really impressed with how aggressive he's riding right now, despite the fact that uh, you know he's got a comfortable lead. He's he's still taking risks and uh, 
just keep, you know, he's got that racer's mindset. Yeah, he doesn't know anything other than wide open. Uh, I think you're right, though. He's riding smart, not going to get himself into a position where he could take himself out of the action, which, again, sadly, as a big Tomac fan, he has had a bit of a habit of doing in years past. So we're wishing him nothing but the best. And then, of course, you had, uh, what was it then last night, round 15 last night? We had round 15 last night, so two more rounds to go, but uh, it was another uh, interesting track. I mean, I think working inside the same venue, they struggle to come up with new ideas, and they just had just, I don't know if flat corners and supercross really belong together, but they had a lot of those, and you could tell the riders struggled. But uh, your 450 podium was quite a surprise. Ken Roxon, who didn't get the whole shot, he followed Cooper Webb into the first turn, followed Cooper for a while and uh, made a move, and got out front and just took off. So here's a guy who's just had a lot of trouble. He's been having trouble uh, acclimating to the, to the altitude. And he came out this week with a statement that he's had shingles for a while. And he's oh, trying to deal wow. with the pain of shingles in addition to racing. And uh, the fact that he's out there winning a Supercross against that level of competition is just pretty impressive. Yeah, never bet against Roxon. He's... Uh... His comeback story is still being written, quite honestly. One year ago, you would not have guessed that he would be this strong of a rider, right? One year ago, you would have said that'd be a miracle for him to be where he is. When he, when he lost his first, uh, I say lost his arm, but essentially lost his arm the first time, I yeah. thought his career was over. And he comes back, and then he does it again to the other arm, and he's, and he's still out there competing and winning at that level. So, yeah, I think you're right. The story's still being written, and uh, can't wait to see how it turns out. Right now, it's a hefty battle between him and Cooper Webb for, for second place. I think I'm not going to say it's a foregone conclusion that Tomac's going to win it because you never know. There's you two rounds know. left, but um, he's got a pretty comfortable lead. He'd really have to implode at this point. Certainly not wishing that on anybody. No. But yeah, they've, they're battling out, so Webb finished right behind him in second. So those two are duking it out for second. And Tomac, who's got a pretty hefty lead at 24 points over Roxon, finished out on the box in third. And then we had a 250 West round. Lots of good racing in the 250 class. Really exciting to watch these guys go back and forth. Austin Forkner brings it home, put a little battle, head to uh, Park Dylan Ferrandis pretty early in the race and did a good job of it. I guess a little comeuppance for Ferrandis, who's been a little pushy out there on the racetrack. He paid for it, and he finished second. And then uh, the young phenom from Australia, 16-year-old Jet Lawrence, who led some qualifying laps and also got taken out a few times, had a few uh, bad luck instances, let's say, but uh, he finished out the podium on third. So a 16-year-old kid on, on the podium at a 250 West Supercross, pretty impressive. That is crazy impressive, and clearly we're going to be seeing a lot more of that kid when he finds his roots, where you know where he can stand without being shoved around. It's got to be tough being that young. Uh, you know the guys don't cut him any slack. Absolutely not, and he's got his brother out there on the racetrack with him also, and the two Lawrence brothers made the move from Australia to here, and uh, they've landed on the, uh, the Geico Honda team together, and those two are just amazing talents, and it's it's really going to be interesting to watch next five years with these guys, how they develop and what they develop into. And they both said that they're big Chad Reed fans and they want to follow in his footsteps. So what a better example. Yeah, set the bar high. 
Chad Reed is still out there racing too. There's a guy we could spend all day talking about. How about you give us today's trivia question, Dave? Absolutely. This week's Pit Pass trivia question is, the first stadium motocross event took place at the Los Angeles Coliseum. In what year? More on that later on in the show. Welcome to Pit Pass today. Cooper McDonald of the Bart Kahn Racing Team riding in a Yamaha FC07 this year in Moto America's Twins Cup Series. Welcome to the show, Cooper. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So you had a pretty doggone good weekend at Road America, and I'm sure you're ready to get back up there. How'd the racing go for you? This is this was your first race on the FC07, correct? Or did you race it at all last year? Actually, yeah. Uh, last year, I raced a full season on uh, the AP Moto Arts FC07 Yamaha. And uh, this year, I'm on a completely different bike, completely different setup. Now it's just getting used to the new setup and making it just as competitive as it was last year. So you did get to run. You ran the full season last year. So this isn't a new class to you, but are you confident the bike's there for you, that you've got uh, the right tools to be as competitive as you want to be all season long? You know, um, the first round was a good eye-opener. You know, that was the first time I was ever on the bike, and that was the second time I've ever been at that track. Last year, I learned all of the tracks, and this year I'm implementing what I learned last year. So second time at the track, first time on the new bike. We learned a whole lot, and we've done a lot of testing in between this race or this last race and the one coming up uh, in a couple weeks. And all the advancements we've made is going to make the bike much, much stronger. And I think we'll have a uh, good chance to run with the guys uh, in the top three of the next round. So, Cooper, I understand your father's the uh, the crew chief on the team. Is that correct? I don't really know, like, specifics of who's who. But, yeah, <laughs> my dad is a mechanic along with one of uh, the local guys here in Tulsa. His name's Shannon Ball. He's one of the local guys here in Oklahoma. And then Dustin Apgar is one of my mechanics as well. And he works uh, also with uh, Dominic Doyle. So I was kind of curious, you know, you ran the FC07 last year. You've got your father involved with the program. Does that make things easier this year as you're trying to dial in the bike and you carry over some of the things you learned last year? Absolutely. So I've been racing for a total of four years. Every single time I hit the track, I'm learning things. I'm still working on, you know, the basic things like rider position and working with my dad, who was a national champion, you know, being able to work with people that have been racing since well before I was born. You know, I uh, work with guys like Kevin Schwantz, 1993 world champion. He helps me a lot whenever he's at the track. Being able to use the team that I had last year and be able to still learn how to communicate what I need to communicate is a big key to that. Um, I feel like working with the same team is beneficial. So Cooper, you're a Oklahoma guy. Have you ever gone flat tracking? Because I presume, you know, the other famous Oklahoma racers, there've been a few. Danny Eslick immediately comes to mind. They're guys that I think, traditionally kind of came from somewhat of a flat track background. Have you had any flat track experience? You know, I've never raced any pro stuff. I'm definitely not fast enough for the pro stuff. You know, I do go out to some of the flat tracks here in Tulsa 
writing with guys like Danny, you know, Danny Eslig, Corey West. I try to make my uh, way out there quite a bit, but I primarily focus on road racing. My, I know my dad and uh, my uncle, Phil McDonald, he used to race flat track for a very long time. I definitely have a flat track background, but uh, I primarily road race. Well, that's uh, impressive. And gosh, you got Kevin Schwantz in your corner already. Uh, that's He usually is uh, the guy who only takes an interest in really fast guys. I mean, he's super helpful. I know he has been to a number of riders. He's pretty selective about who he helps out with. So kudos to you for getting him in your corner. That is no joke, having that kind of talent behind you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's really cool to be able to work with someone as awesome as Kevin Schwantz. You know, he's one of the nicest guys. He treats everybody the exact same. He's, he's super humble, such an amazing guy. And it's really cool to be able to say that he assists me, he mentors me, he teaches me things. You know, he was at uh, last year, he went to he went to Laguna. He went to Barber as well. And yeah, those two tracks I did a little bit better than most of the tracks I went to that year. Started on the front row at Laguna. And that was really cool. And Barbara, I, I think I finished seventh. I want to say, I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, it's really cool to be able to work with a world champion like him. So what is your favorite after doing a full season? What's your uh, favorite Moto America track that you guys visit? That's a hard question. I want to go straight for Utah just because I podiumed there. But, <laughs> you know, Laguna was so cool. Last year, that was the first time I've ever been to all of those tracks. By far... Laguna Seca was the coolest track, you know. I, I instantly connected with the track. I think I slow, like I started like 15th. And by qualifying, I was P3 and I fought for the win in the race. Uh, and then I had a little mechanical, but I think I finished like seventh or sixth. Yeah, I finished right around there almost the whole season. This year, we're going for a little stronger finishes. Right on. Well, yes. And riders routinely say when I talk to riders who've had their first visit, they describe it as essentially a roller coaster that you're in charge of. That's what it feels like from a rider's perspective. It's one of the few places I haven't had the opportunity to ride. I'm hoping to remedy that at some point soon. Everybody's got to ride at Laguna. It is such a cool track. And, you know, I thought, you know, before I went to Laguna, I thought everyone was overhyping it. And then I rode there and uh, I can tell you they're not. It is super, super cool. You know, you slowly build elevation all the way until the, the corkscrew, and then you basically kill all of that in one corner. It's, it is it is the coolest experience. Well, thanks for hyping me up. Now I'm going to just – that'll fill my dreams from now till the time I get to ride. I actually visited it a couple of years ago, went out, and there were cars on track, so I got to watch some hot laps, but nothing compares to riding. What do you think about Circuit of the Americas? That place is pretty fun too, right? I've actually never ridden at Circuit of the Americas. I went there. I went there last year to watch the MotoGP guys, and it looks like a super, super fun track. But uh, I've never had the pleasure to actually ride there. Hopefully, I can maybe hit a track day or something this year because they only let the superbikes out there. Yeah, because it's the combo event with MotoGP. It's kind of a limited, uh, limited offering for Moto America to fill out the weekend. But yeah, you'll be in that class soon enough, I'm sure. What do you got planned for the rest of your summer now that the, the race schedule's kind of shaped up? It looks like most of the races on the calendar are pretty firmly set. Does it feel that way to you guys? I mean, we can hope for that. I would like to see all nine rounds completed. 
I really like the idea of the season. I'm going to be focusing primarily on losing weight. Um, I feel like that's something that's holding me back, getting stronger, getting more endurance and training over the summer. So that way the second half of the season is stronger than the first half of the season. And I feel like that's where uh, most riders are. You know, you want to end the season stronger than when you're started. And that's the goal. Cooper, you touched on something that kind of piqued my interest as a, as a fellow uh, eyeglass wearer, and uh, I've been a racer most of my life, rider. How does that uh, work for you? I mean, you're, uh, road racing is a highly visual sport, and does that, how does that work for you? Do you have any trouble? Does it, do you get fogging in the lenses? Is it really something that, that you feel uh, you're able to work around no problem? You know, there's certain things that I have to do that most riders don't because I do wear glasses. I've slowly started moving to contacts, but, you know, it's such a sketchy game because if you have a contact failure, you, you know, you're basically racing with one eye and nobody wants to do that. And with glasses, you know, with fogging, what I would have to do is I would have to, anytime I'd come to a stop, I'd have to lift my visor. So, I would pull up to the grid and I would have to lift my visor before I'd stop. Otherwise, it would fog up. It was so uncomfortable, like having to almost hold your breath on the line, because if you don't hold your breath, you breathe. And that's what fogs up your glasses. It was super difficult. And it's something that luckily now with contacts, I don't have to worry about as much, you know, because if your glasses get fogged, you're really uncomfortable and you can't really do much. But with contacts and stuff, it's just, as long as you keep them solid, you're good. Yeah, invariably, you're going to end up racing in the rain. Uh, I used to wear glasses and contacts, all that. At about 39 or 40 years old, I had LASIK. Changed the game for me entirely. You're probably too young for that yet. Your eyes are still changing. But racing in the rain with glasses was the worst. There was just no way to keep them from fogging up. I I haven't had to... I haven't had to do that in any of the pro races. However, in some of the club racing that I do, I've had the unfortunate experience of having to race with glasses on in the rain. And yeah, there's not much that you can do. Like you can use like anti-fog or rain X to try to prevent it. But I mean, at the end of the day, by like lap six or seven, you practically can't see very far anyway. So it's just, you know, LASIK's probably the way to go if you can, but I have to wait a few more years before I can do anything like that. I do remember a goggle manufacturer that came out with an electric fan-powered or electric fan uh, goggle back in the day. I just That's the technology they need to adapt to the inside of your helmet to give you a little, little air conditioning because I can right. sympathize. I, I've fought with that my entire life too, and you, you find ways to work around it and uh, make it work. It's definitely a struggle, but... You know, everybody has their things that they have to work on, and that's just one of them for me, you know. You just got to work on eyes, whereas some people have to work on different things. So knowing your weaknesses and trying to sharpen those instead of working on the same thing. Are you still club racing, Cooper? You'd mentioned club racing. Are you still planning to do that this year, assuming club racing is happening again? Yes and no. I haven't. We haven't quite made a decision because – like you said, the schedule looks like it's gonna looks like it's pretty set in stone. But until it's a hundred percent set in stone, we're still kind of tentative. I'm definitely not racing for a championship, but I might make some of the CMRA races or the uh, ASRA slash CCS races 
definitely love the endurance stuff. So that's most likely what I'll be doing in those races. But I think I'm going to be primarily making the CMRA races just because they're local to the Oklahoma track. Endurance race, and that, that is where it's at. A lot of seat time, a lot of laps, and it just you learn so much about how you feel as your energy goes off. I mean, it's, it's an eye-opener when you get into two-hour-plus races, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, the CMRA does typically six- to eight-hour endurance races with up to five riders. It's definitely where you can get the most amount of seat time racing where – you know, you can you can get a lapping day, you can you can do track days, but there's nothing like racing and it's something that you just have to sharpen. And I love endurance racing just because it's it's about the team. It's not about necessarily the rider. It's who can have the best package and have all the riders perform the best, you know. And typically we ride three to four riders just because, you know, you wanna have hour and a half jaunts really focus on getting the seat time because like I said, I've only been racing for about four years and I'm still learning so much each time I hit the track. Like I, I look back on the videos of me last year and I, I mean, it's just night and day compared to what it is this year. And I hope I can say the same thing next year. You know, I, I've been working with uh, Dustin Apgar over at Indy Motorsports Complex in Tucson, Arizona. It's about an hour or two hours away from Phoenix. I did not realize how uncomfortable I've been riding until I trained with him out there. And, you know, I really think going to the next round, training on my new riding position, training with the new bike, I really think we're going to be able to put on a better show. And uh, hopefully it looks a little bit better. Well, I can't imagine it was all that bad. You, uh, you've been putting up some good results, man. It's a pretty stacked field in that class. Uh, it's been every year that that class has gone on, it's getting better. I mean, it has all the trappings and markings of a very, very professional and competitive class. Everyone out there has brought their A game. I mean, it looks that way in the pits too, doesn't it? For sure. It is. I, I can't say it's the most competitive class because that is not true. However, there is, I would say, 10 people in that class at every race that is has the opportunity to win where you can't say that about any other class, you know, and the racing, it's not the speed of Superbike, but it, it's still a very fast pace and it shows the true talent of the riders. You know, the fact that the first round Rocco and Caleb were a thousandth of a second across the line glued to each other. The second race, the top three were less than a 10th of a second off of each other. I mean, it shows how competitive the the class really is. And, you know, it's unfortunate that we don't get half the track time as most of the track or most of the guys do. The next round, I think we have 45 minutes on Friday, 30 minutes on Saturday, and 15 minutes in a race on Sunday, which is not a lot of time to really get used to everything. You know, if you have a problem, you're you're basically out. It's really, really difficult. I wish we had more time, but everybody has to work with the same amount of time. So it's just using your weaknesses to your advantage. Yeah. That's an impressive, uh, impressive bit of numbers there that you guys are somewhat limited. Although I have to think it it's just forces good rider racer behavior. Don't waste energy. Don't waste time. You don't have it. So you can't do those things. And it, it's probably teaching you how to be a better racer. I would imagine. Yes, absolutely. It's cool because you can, 
use tactics like you like you watch uh, some of these guys and how they qualify. You got to use tactics on how to throw the best lap together, you know, getting behind someone that you know is faster than you or if you are one of the faster guys, not letting someone behind you, you know. And it, it really shows the skill, the people that can get up to speed fast versus the people that need six or seven sessions to get fast. It's cool to see the skill barrier and how fast some of these guys really do get up to speed. Yep, that is the the name of the game. Well, as I mentioned, Cooper, we wanna we're wrapping up, getting near the end here. I want to give you a chance to thank your sponsors. Uh, you're clearly coming into your own as a professional racer. Congratulations on your your new team. Who would you like to thank that's helped you along the way? Yeah, I got to thank all of the guys at uh, BartCon Racing. You know, Colin Barton, Pete, Dustin Apgar. Got to thank the guys at Bison for hooking me up for those uh, really really cool leathers that I rode at Road America. Kevin Schwantz, Arai, Korma Boots, K-Tech Suspension. Um, I know I'm going to blank, but yeah, Canon Air Filters. All the guys that helped me. My dad for building such an awesome bike with Shannon. Can't thank those guys enough for building me such an awesome bike and giving me the opportunity to, to race with the fastest guys in the United States. It's super cool. Well, way to go, Cooper. We can't wait to see more out of you this season. Best of luck to you. you just keep doing what you're doing, man. You're going in the right direction, and uh, we look forward to seeing how you go. See you at the track. Thank you so much for having me. Pit Pass Trivia Question of the Week. Let me read the question one more time. The first stadium motocross event took place at the Los Angeles Coliseum in what year? And that year was 1972. So that was the birth of what later became known as Supercross. It was originally called the Super Bowl of motocross. It was a one-off event put on by a gentleman named Mike Goodwin, who was a uh, big promoter back in the 1970s and early 1980s. He dreamed up the idea and put on the event and it just grew from there. It was actually part of the Inter-Am series. It was a standalone event, but uh, eventually they merged it into what they call the Supercross series officially in 1974. And the winner of the championship in 1974 was Pierre's Cars Makers, who was a Dutch rider who came over to promote motocross in the United States, real fast Dutchman. At the time, they had a 500cc class in Supercross, and former guest of the show was the champion of that series in 1974, and that's Gary Semmicks. That's some of the history going back in time with uh, what's just become, I think, the biggest dirt bike-related racing event or series in, in the world right now. I think even the European riders are envious of, uh, of Supercross and come over here and try to compete in it against the American riders. and. More recently, having great success at it, I would say, PJ. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the likes of Ken Roxon, right? Good example. Dylan Ferrandis. You go back in time to guys like Gene Michelle Bale. The European riders have uh, have adapted and come over here. And usually, that was a that was the edge that the American riders had over the European riders was the ability to compete on those types of courses. And uh, the European riders have all just adapted well and actually beating us at our own game. Yep, that is uh, unfortunate reality of the sport. And certainly we have guys that go the other way as well. And they have 
not done as exceedingly well as one would hope or as perhaps people thought they might over the years. Uh, there have been notable exceptions. Yeah, there's a few. I, I think in motocross and supercross, the most recent example of a, of a guy going the other way was Ryan Villapoto, who attempted to go to Europe and compete in the MXGPs. And that lasted, what, all of two, three races before he got hurt. And uh, he was not competitive with the top echelon of, of GP racers, the tracks and the the venues and the travel and the food and all the things that go with it. They just struggle to, to adapt. Yep, he definitely did struggle, and he's not for lack of talent. Uh, as, as fast guys go, Villapoto was the abs- at the apex at the moment he went over there, and you're exactly right. It didn't go his way in any way, shape, or form. Now, in road racing, it's a little bit of a different story. There's been great American racers who've gone overseas and competed well. You're number one there, obviously, Nikki Hayden was a good example. The Texas Tornado going over there winning MX. Or, Kenny know. Roberts, Ben Spees. I mean, they, not just GP. Ben Spees, what he did in 09 was absolutely unparalleled as a, as a rookie went and essentially pounded the entire league into submission very convincingly. And he, of course, was rewarded with a MotoGP ride the very following year. Yamaha completely bought the hype because it was obvious he was that good. It seems like it ebbs and flows, you know, various areas of the world just suddenly become strong. And right now, I think Spain was uh, probably the the hotbed of road racers for a period of time. It was Australia. I mean, it just seems to come and go. You are correct. And those guys all, it, it is funny. If only they knew what led to an era where it's defined as the American era or the Australian era or what Right now, we're in the middle of the Spanish era. There was the Italian era, otherwise known as Rossi, uh, for a long, long time. It's it's interesting to watch. It's what we do. What do we got coming up this week? We got two more rounds, as you had mentioned earlier, right, of motocross, supercross. Yes, we do. In supercross, we've got two more rounds to close out the series in Salt Lake City. Round 16 will be Wednesday on June 17th. And then on Sunday, the final event for the season will determine the championships for not only the 450 class, but in the final event, they do what's called an East-West shootout where the 250 class, they combine the East Conference and the West Conference onto one track. They qualify together. And and that ultimately is going to determine, I think, championships at least in the West Series. I think... For the E-Series, I don't know if that's a foregone conclusion, but uh, it's going to be competitive no matter what. It's going to be some great racing, and it's going to be a great final. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be glued to the television, that's for sure. Yep, I definitely will as well. And in our sponsors world, Moto America, again, our very gracious sponsor, Moto America, their series right now has upcoming June 26th through the 28th, Moto America, this time with fans, or at least that's the plan right now. They have on their website at MotoAmerica.com. You can find the full schedule. They've got currently listed Moto America Superbikes at Monterey. That'll be out at Laguna Seca July 10 through 12. And then they head down to Atlanta at the end of July, July 31 through Aug 2. Those are the upcoming races for uh, Moto America in the road racing world. Look forward to getting to some of those races and seeing them live.
Thank you again to our guest, Cooper McDonald, for being with us today. And we want to thank you for tuning in and listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. If you have a moment, please rate and review us as well. We really appreciate it. Let us know if we're talking about what you want to hear about. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And, of course, pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our all-new blog. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Chris Bishop, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave. And I'm PJ. And we'll see you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.